All right. Good evening, church. Uh, glad to come your way again, and thanks. Um, God bless all of you. Uh, last week, we concluded chapter 6 by learning about four vital truths in dealing with sin. And uh, when we read the first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6, we, we see that first thing is know that you are baptized into Christ. Account yourself to be dead to sin. And when I, and I talk about sin, I talk about four things we have to consider when we use the word sin. Person, nature, thoughts, or mindset, and then actions. Consider yourself dead to the sin nature. And that's very important. Number three, renew your mind. Or when you renew your mind, those sinful thoughts and sinful uh, uh, mind, that, that, that mindset of sin that you have will, 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 will give way to walking in the Spirit. And then because of that, your desires will not have a fuse because the, 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 the mindset has changed. Amen. The fourth thing that we talked about is live under grace. These four steps will let us have dominion over sin and not the other way around. Amen. And we also talked on grace that grace should empower us to live holy and righteously. Amen. And so much was said about it. Unfortunately, the recording got messed up because the file was corrupted. So unfortunately, we don't have a recording for Wednesday. It was recorded, but the file is corrupted. There, there are a lot of complicated steps you have to take for you to retrieve your file, and I'll try and do that once I have time on my side. Amen. Uh, tonight, we want to get into our topic. Uh, I've thought about this um, good and hard because we just celebrated Pentecost, and Pentecost in our context means the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured on humanity, evidenced by speaking in tongues. And this was a fulfillment of a prophecy, uh, in an age-long prophecy by Joel. You know, Bible commentators and theologians are confused about when the book of Joel is actually written. They don't have a precise dating. So they are talking about anywhere from 630 to 8th century BC. You know, but that's a very long time. Even if it was written 630 BC, that's a very long time, 630 BC to... 33 AD when the Holy Spirit that's a very long time that's even two dispensations before Christ and Anno Domini you know so Pentecost to me also represents the fulfillment of prophecy amen so today we want to attempt to look at the scriptural position on tongues which is a thorny issue among many Christians uh, praying in tongues has even brought different sects in Christianity. You know, among among the mainstream evangelical that's even here in America, there are different sects, all because of speaking in tongues. You know, so that that has brought a big a big divide. So today we will attempt to look at it from a very scriptural and a biblical perspective. Amen. So let's read First Corinthians chapter fourteen. And start with the first five verses. So today we are just going to do contextual Bible reading. And let the Bible explain itself. We are going to do it like Jesus. The Bible says when Jesus wanted to open the scriptures to his disciples. He expounded the scriptures. It means to stick close. So that's what we're going to do. We are going to stick close to the scripture. And allow scripture to interpret scripture. So I read the first five verses. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exaltation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he indeed interprets that the church may receive edification. So Paul is dealing with this chapter in a church setting or assembly. 
So he's going to unveil certain truths. He talks about pursuing love. He pursue love, which is the fruit of the spirit. Talk about the fruit of the spirit. The first shade of the fruit of the spirit that is mentioned as love. So when Paul is talking about love here, he's basically talking about the fruit of the spirit. And he also say, these are spiritual gifts. So a Christian should walk in the combination of the gifts and the fruits of the spirit. You don't don't pit one against another. And sometimes that has been the problem. You will see some sect of Christianity that esteem fruit of the spirit above gift of the spirit. And you know, in our charismatic and Pentecostal circles, sometimes we also tend to go the opposite direction. And we tend to elevate charisma or charismata or spiritual gifts above character and it's very wrong amen we have to learn how to walk in the combination of fruit and the spirit fruit of the spirit is evidenced by godly or christ-like character gifts of the spirit talks about flowing and walking in the power the demonstration and the manifestation of the spirit that's what is going to add a certain oomph potency to your witness as a christian both are needed you don't pit one against another. And Paul says that these are spiritual gifts so that you may prophesy. May I submit to you that <clears throat> when you read First Corinthians chapter 12, there are nine gifts of the Spirit. Okay? Of the nine gifts of the Spirit, all the nine don't let you prophesy. Alright? Revelation gifts don't let you prophesy. Revelation gives help you to see something, know something, perceive something. That's designing of spirits, words of wisdom and knowledge. Now, when you look at faith, gifts of healing and working of miracles, that's what's called power gifts. They don't help you to prophesy. They help you to do something. Okay? So now, what, is, what will help you prophesy is the last three. Prophecy interpretation of tongues and tongues so when paul is talking about desire spiritual gifts here he's actually talking about three particular gifts desire the vocal gifts three out of nine will help you to prophesy so paul paul doesn't just want us to become filled um, um, with a christ-like character which is shown by the fruit of the spirit he also wants us to desire the vocal gifts Prophecy, interpretation of tongues, and tongues. Because when we do that, the resultant effect of these three is that it helps us to prophesy. And what does it mean to prophesy here? It's not talking about um, acting like a prophet or speaking like a prophet. It's just talking about speaking under divine inspiration. Every New Testament believer has the ability to speak under divine inspiration. That's prophecy. So we can all prophesy. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. You know, the, but the fact that you prophesy doesn't mean you are a prophet. It's different. Amen. So, when you read our scripture carefully, you will see some benefits of tongues. And I want to talk about that. It says that you speak to God. So, it's very important for us to speak in tongues. When you speak in tongues, you are not speaking to man. You are speaking to God. The second thing you see there is that you speak mysteries, <clears throat> excuse me, and mystery means a hidden or a secret thing, or a coded language, you know. Sometimes if you have good friends, you can say things in codes, or even every, every work has codes. If I mention a code I, I use at work, you will never understand it, unless you work at where I work. And, and so, so do you. So, you know, it, it happens because you have a certain affinity, relationship, and everything. So, it speaks of the level of closeness and depthness we have with God when we speak in tongues. And tongues really fosters communion. It, it, it strengthens us to have a deeper union and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Number three, you edify yourself. And edify yourselves means that you are promoting growth. You are growing yourself. <clears throat> I believe today all of us charged our phone. 
or are charging our phone because as i'm speaking i'm sure some of you have your phone on charge what what are you doing you are edifying your phone that's what you do when you're speaking tongues you edify yourself you charge yourself so paul now contrasts this with prophecy you will see also three differences here when it comes to prophecy you speak to man you don't speak to god the second thing about prophecy is that you speak in a known tongue not an unknown tongue it's not a mystery it's plain and the third thing that you will see is that you edify the church whilst tongues has more to do with edifying yourself building yourself up prophecy has more to do with edifying the church and then when you read further on in verse 3 Paul explains more about prophecy that when you prophesy, you speak edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So that's that's the role of prophecy. When you speak under divine inspiration, you minister these three-pronged effects to your audience. Amen. So Paul Paul said something that the person who speaks in a clear language is greater than the one who speaks in a coded language. Now, why did Paul say that? Did Paul say that because he was trying to down tongues? No. What Paul simply meant was in terms of comprehension. So, for example, like we are here, all of us can speak English. If I speak to you in French, I haven't benefited you because you have no comprehension. But if someone can speak in English, the person who speaks in English is greater than the person who is speaking in French. Why? Based on comprehension. So this has nothing to do with superior versus inferior. This has more to do with comprehension. When you, when you prophesy, you are speaking in a language that the speaker and the audience can both relate to. Tongues is not that way. Tongues, you are speaking mystery. You are speaking coded things to the Lord. And you are, you, are also, you are also not speaking to man per se. That's not your audience. So when Paul says in, in verse 5 that the person who speaks in tongues is the person who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. He's talking more about comprehension, understanding the language. That, that's what he really means. And not really uh, elevating prophecy above tongues. I hope you all understand me. Okay, let's continue. Verse 6 to 12. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophecy, or by teaching. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? Verse 8, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. 11, therefore if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. And he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So now Paul is talking here about when you are ministering to a church audience. So mind you, know the context of why Paul is writing this. Paul is talking about orderliness and decency in a church setting. So now when you are ministering to your audience, you don't do it in tongues. Understand me? So now, whatever I'm saying, if I say it in a coded language in tongues, I don't benefit you. What, what do you get? I have to speak it in a language that is understandable to you. And that probably I can also speak very well proficiently. And if I can, then I will need an interpreter in most cases to do that so paul is talking about conveying your message you don't convey it in tongues you understand so and um, paul used musical instruments to uh, um, bring his analogy clearly that you are even able to differentiate 
different musical instruments by their sounds. But when you speak in tongues to an audience that don't get it, the Bible lets you know that you are just like a trumpet that makes an uncertain sound. Who will know? Everybody can know the sound of a trumpet when it sounds. Everybody can know a trump can know a, a flute when it sounds or a harp when it sounds. But when you decide to speak in an unknown tongue, you are just like a trumpet with an uncertain sound. That means you don't make meaning, you don't make clarity, and you don't bring understanding to your audience. So that's what Paul was trying to say. And then he went on to say that every language is significant, and there are many kinds of languages. There are many kinds of languages, and all the languages are significant. But the language will make significance to me if I can understand the language. Yeah, understand? So apart from English, there are many languages. I don't speak Italian, but Italian is a significant language. It's a significant language to the Italian. It might not be to me. There are many kinds of languages, but none of them are without significance. And what makes it significant is comprehension and understanding of the language. Amen. So Paul is promoting other clarity and understanding in the church service here. He doesn't prohibit us from desiring spiritual gifts. In fact, when you re read the scriptures that we just read right now, he said, desire spiritual gifts. And when he's talking about desiring spiritual gifts, tongues are included. But we should desire spiritual gifts with the purpose of seeking it to build the church, to edify the church. So may I submit to you that tongues build a church. It's important to seek spiritual gifts because when you seek spiritual gifts, it is for the building of the church. And when the church is being built, the church will now enter into a realm of excellence because the Bible says that when the church is built, it is in that area that the church will also excel. So Paul is not discounting tongues and he's not downplaying tongues. He wants us to desire it, but he wants us to know how to use it appropriately that tongues will be a blessing. Amen. Let us read verses 13 to 25. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I'll pray with the spirit, I also pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the spirit, and I also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? At your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For if you indeed give thanks, well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with thanks more than you all. So you see, Paul, who wrote this, is a believer in thanks. And on record, you will see Paul ministering to people by laying hands on them for them to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is the evidence of speaking in tongues. Yet in the church, I will rather speak five words with my understanding. So you see what Paul is saying here? So Paul is saying that if I am alone, I'll speak in tongues. But when I'm in the church ministering to my audience, I'll rather prefer to speak five words so that people will gain clarity and comprehension. That I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes. But in understanding, be mature. In the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to these people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Prophesying, prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and have come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, Will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, 
And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So we just read verses 13 to 25. So in verse 13, you don't need the gift of interpretation when you are praying alone or in an assembly. So for example, when like we, we have a prayer meeting, shall we pray? Those who, who have received the gift of speaking tongues can just pray. You don't actually need an interpretation. Do you understand? But sometimes people are speaking tongues in the church and people say oh, they are out of order. They are barbarians. They are not barbarians. Number one, I am not even talking to you. I am praying to my father. And if all of us speak in tongues in a concert, there is nothing wrong with that. Because Acts chapter 2, that's what happened. When they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit of the evidence of speaking in tongues, they all spoke in concerts. There was nothing wrong with that. Now, there is a problem when they start speaking to themselves in tongues. That's where you need an interpretation. So when a group of believers gather together and they say, shall we pray? And we all start to speak in tongues. We don't need an interpreter. But now when the prayer is no longer directed to God and it's now directed to man, that is when the gift of interpretation comes into play. So why do we need the gift of interpretation? So that we can translate what God is telling our spirit man, which is coded into a known and a plain language. That's the only reason why interpretation of tongues there. But when you are praying alone in your house, or when you are praying together with an assembly of believers and you are talking to God, you don't necessarily need that interpretation. But now, when it comes to a place where you are ministering to man, you are ministering to your audience, you can't just do that in tongues. You can do it in tongues followed by interpretation. Then, when you do that, the message now becomes relevant to your audience but when you don't do that the bible lets us know that they become uninformed and when you read verse 14 you also see another important benefit of speaking in tongues the bible says that when we pray in tongues our spirit prays you see when you pray with your understanding your spirit is not praying your understanding is very active your mental faculties are very uh, uh, active but when it comes to speaking in tongues, your spirit, your inner witness, the real you is praying. Your spirit prays. So that's one of the reasons why speaking in tongues is such a powerful thing. So Paul then drew a conclusion. He said, what is the conclusion then? I will pray and sing in the spirit. And I will also pray and sing in understanding. Now what does that mean? Praying and singing in understanding means when I have to say it to my audience. So for example, last week, Pastor Robert led, led worship. Can you imagine if he was coming to lead worship, then he starts speaking in tongues. How, how will we follow in worship? It won't benefit us. It will benefit him because he's edifying himself, but it will not benefit me, the audience, who will want to participate in the worship. So for us to really join in concert and then worship the Lord together, Pastor Robert has to minister in a known tongue so that we can all join in participation. Because the Bible says that if he doesn't do that, then we will be among the number of the uninformed. And then church doesn't become a blessing. Amen. So Paul is not condemning tongues. He's just talking about when it is appropriate to be used. And that's why when he talks about tongues, he also strives to enumerate some benefits of it as well. Now, in verses 16 to 19, Paul said, if you are blessing, if you are giving thanks, or if you are teaching in assembly, do it in a known language or a tongue. Okay? Don't do it in an unknown tongue, so that nobody in your audience will be uninformed. So when it comes to blessing, for example, if I ever want to speak a word of blessing, it is not um, what word do I even want to use? It, it will not be beneficial to you if I speak it in tongues. I have to speak in understanding. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. 
may he be gracious unto I can't just speak in tongues. Now, I can speak in tongues and then follow it up with an interpretation. Then it blesses you. But now, if I just speak in tongues, may the Lord bless you. When I do that, who am I blessing? I'm actually edifying myself, but I'm not edifying the church. Are you understanding me? But if I'm praying to just God, shall we pray? I'm praying to God. It's advisable. It's okay. It's permissible to speak in tongues. Either by yourself, privately, or in a church assembly. The Bible also says that when you are given thanks in a known tongue, then it becomes beneficial. The Bible says that when you are teaching in an assembly, so for example, I'm doing tonight's teaching. I can't do it in tongues. Are you going to understand everything I have said now? If I was to say it in tongues, you won't get any understanding. But it's okay to say it in tongues and then follow it up with an interpretation. Then it becomes beneficial. Then Paul says that when we do that, people will not be uninformed in our church assembly. Now, Paul teaches something very important in verses 20 to 22. We should all take notice. He admonishes us to be mature in understanding, but we should be babes in malice. It shouldn't be the other way around. You should not be mature in malice and a baby in understanding. And why does Paul say that? Paul said that by quoting a scripture in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11 to 12. You know, if you do remember, when I was doing the ministry gifts, I did quote this scripture. When you read Isaiah chapter 28, the Bible lets you know about the spiritual stupor of Israel. You know, they, they, they were downhearted. And why were they downhearted? Because the priests and the prophets who were supposed to teach them the word of God, precept by precept, line upon line, were drunk with wine. They had been overtaken with wine. So they had, they had no cognizance of spiritual things or the word of God. So in Isaiah chapter 28, um, the, the prophet Isaiah said that, with stammering lips and with another tongue, I'll speak to your people. But they will not hear. Why would they not hear? Because they are spiritually dull and they cannot perceive things. So Paul is saying that tongues is a sign to unbelievers. Why is tongues a sign to unbelievers? It's a sign to unbelievers that they are babies in understanding. So now, can I say something? Never feel bad again. If somebody mocks at you because you speak in tongues. Never, never feel bad again. If people are writing on social media and are making fun of tanks and are making silly skits, putting it on TikTok and laughing at you, it's fine because it should fulfill scripture. And because tanks is a sign to them that they are babies in understanding. It's a sign to them. It's not a sign to us. It's a sign to them that they are babies in understanding. And that's why they will mock at spiritual things. And that's what Paul is saying right here. That's why he quoted Isaiah chapter 28 to fill in this. That for the sake of unbelievers who are babies in understanding, we have to speak in a known language so that they can understand. And Paul now used the instance of when I'm preaching, and when I do it in a tongue, I don't benefit the unbeliever. But when I preach in a known tongue that both me and the audience, maybe who is an unbeliever, can understand, and I cause him to repent and give his life to Christ. So it's like witnessing. If I'm going to witness, I don't witness in tongues. Because the person I'm going to witness to is a baby in understanding. But if I will witness, I will witness in a known language that he can understand. And then perhaps that message will convict him and he might surrender and give his life to Christ. Do you, do you understand? So for the sake of unbelievers who will come into our presence, when we are ministering, we have to learn how to speak in a known tongue that will cause a transformative effect in their life. Amen. So that's all that Paul is saying. So now let's read verses 26 to 33. How is it then, brethren? 
Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, a tongue, revelation, interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at most three, each in turn, and let no one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. The others here refers to congregation. Okay. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silence, for you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Amen. So now Paul is saying that when we gather as an assembly of believers, whether we, 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 there will be a psalm ministration, whether there will be a teaching, even tongues, revelation, or interpretation, it should be done solely for the purpose of building the church. So you see, tongues builds the church. And Paul wants us to put that in notion whilst we are in church, involved in activities or gifts of, gifts of the Spirit for ministration, teaching, a psalm, tongues, revelation, interpretation. When we ever find ourselves an opportunity where the Holy Spirit will use us in such areas, let's remember why. It is to build the church. So Paul now is addressing order in the church. He talks about when there is a service, how people should conduct themselves when they're in the service. So, for example, if people are prophesying, Paul says that let at least, let at the most, the most should be three. One after the other. Not simultaneously. I've been to some services and I've seen confusion everywhere. You see, someone is speaking tongue. Someone is speaking tongue. I mean, it's okay to speak in tongues and prophesy, but Paul says each one in ten. And Paul says that when they speak in tongues, there should be at least an interpretation. You see, so this is not talking about praying to God the Father or praying by yourself. This is talking about God has given you a word to give to the people. And if God has given you a word to give to the people... You don't just minister it in tongues to your audience. You also have to minister it in interpretation. This is where the interpretation of tongues come in. And then it becomes a blessing. And whilst you are ministering in tongues, if you also feel the edge or the Holy Spirit is leading you to speak in tongues, Paul says, let each one in turn, one after the other. Don't also best out and say, the Spirit of the Lord, I can't control it. You, you can't control it. You can. Because the Bible says that the Spirit of the prophet is subject unto the prophet. I have preached at places and sometimes when I'm preaching, people want to stand up and prophesy. I'll say, sit down. I've had to do that a lot of times. And why will I do that? Based on the authority of the scripture. The Spirit of the prophet is subject unto the prophets. We, we have to learn that. Otherwise, if we don't learn that, we will start to bring all sorts of craziness in the house of God and we'll call it the Spirit. Have you realized that where there is confusion, the Spirit doesn't live there? He is not the, he is not the author of confusion. If the Holy Spirit is really at work in your church, if the Holy Spirit is really at work at the assembly of believers, there will be order and decency. There will be, be order and decency. So Paul, Paul is talking about that. And Paul also says that if God has given you a word and it's an, an unknown tongue, and if you don't have interpretation, just keep silent. Why does he want you to keep silent? Because if you minister it in a tongue to your audience, it might not bless anybody. Who will it bless? Nobody. 
we will be uninformed. But he says, wait for an interpreter. And who will be the interpreter? Mostly the Holy Spirit might give you the interpretation or sometimes he might give it to you through someone. So sometimes I've been in a service, maybe during a worship, worship interlude. Someone will just stand up and speak in tongues. Fine. Another person will stand up and then will give the interpretation. It, it happens. It synchronizes it very beautifully. Sometimes too, someone will just stand up and extemporaneously just speak in tongues. And then will follow it up with an interpretation himself. But Paul is saying in this case, when you receive a word from the Lord and it's in an unknown tongue and you don't have the interpretation, just keep silence and pray until you receive the interpretation. But sometimes you can also receive a prophecy or a word from the Lord for the church and it's an unknown tongue and he will tell you to speak it. Just speak it. When you speak it, God will also touch someone in there with the gift of the interpretation of songs to rightly interpret it. The whole thing is just to follow the Holy Spirit. And it's very unfortunate that sometimes we always want to um, um, associate the Holy Spirit with chaos and confusion and all that. The Holy Spirit doesn't do stuff like that. Amen. There is order in things like this. Amen. And the same is with prophecy. So this is not only with tongues. Paul also talks about prophecy. Now, prophecy is, I'm speaking in a known language that all of us can understand. If God has given you a word to give to somebody, maybe during the announcements, during the sermon, during anything, the Bible says that the spirit of the prophets is subject unto the prophets. You don't just stand up and extemporaneously just burst out. The spirit of the Lord. You don't do that. The spirit of the prophet is subject unto the prophet. And, and the Bible says that where there is a place, like a strong move of the spirit where people want to prophesy, at most three people, at most, just for order and decency, sake, order, decency, and clarity, okay? And one in ten. Like there are some people, they feel like, oh, someone is prophesying. If I don't give my prophecy, the, the spirit, the spirit, he will just leave. No, he will not leave. The spirit of the prophets is subject unto the prophets. Amen. And sometimes I, I, I watch how certain pastors handle these things. It, it tells me a lot about whether they are spiritual or they know their scripture or they will just allow the service to run amok anyway. Amen. I remember there was a guy. Now he's very refined, a great asset to our, our church in, in London, England. I remember when I used to preach, he always used Pastor Jessica's very good friend. And when, when we go to England, she, he always looks after Pastor Jessica and Pampersa and all that stuff. Now, now, I remember when he first came to the church, and he has a very strong prophetic gift. Strong prophetic gift. I, I believe in his gift very strongly. But most times I'm preaching, then he will just stand up. The spirit up as a sit down. Sit down, sit down. I, I, I did him that on three occasions. I remember the third time he did that. When I sat him down, I didn't even finish preaching what I was. I said, open to First Corinthians chapter 14. And I stopped whatever I was preaching and we read all the 40 verses of First Corinthians chapter 14 explaining to the church why I had to do that. And then from that day, there was order. Amen. So, Honestly, if God has given you a word, don't flout protocol, don't flout governance and begin to do what you like. The Bible says that if God has given you a word, take your time, allow the order to flow symmetrically, and then, as the Spirit leads, and the Spirit will definitely lead you at a place and at a time where there is order in the service. Amen. So it's, it's very important for, you, for us to exercise the gift of prophecy, the move of the Spirit in a place of order. That's very necessary. Amen. And the Bible says, allow at most three people to prophesy. So sometimes there can be a heavy and a very strong move of the Spirit, allow three to prophesy. At most, each in turn. Don't let it be simultaneous. 
the Lord, Father, Father, ICC, uh, the, the Lord is saying, you will be blessed. Then someone is also saying, the Lord is, no, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. I, 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 in my few years of ministry, I've come to realize that sometimes when these things happen and it seems to get out of hand, sometimes you see certain pastors that become very overwhelmed in the situation and they, they don't know what to do. Amen. So, scripture, fo- follow scripture, follow scripture, one at a time. Because the Bible says that for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So a place where there is confusion, it makes me know that God is not there. Including in quote-unquote manifestation of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit manifests. He does manifest. He manifests very strongly. I don't know if you've experienced the manifestation of the Spirit before, but He does manifest very strongly. But it's an order. Amen. Alright. Now, Verse 34 to 35. Let me address this one. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. I've seen people really take these two verses and have used it to cause havoc and harm in the body of Christ. So, some things to note from this passage. This passage is not saying the woman. Okay? T-H-E. It's not saying the woman. Number one. It's also not saying all women should be quiet. Let's get that very clearly. Alright? So, it's not talking about the woman. And it's not talking about all women. This passage is also not saying it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Because sometimes you see women pastors, women apostles, women prophets, and then you see people saying that, no, it's a shame. You are, you are, you, you've abrogated the scripture. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 35 that it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And this is the scripture that they use, which is also wrong. Amen. So Paul uses the word your woman okay so you will have to appreciate context setting and history when you want to exegete this text so it's not talking about the woman it's not talking about all women it's talking about your woman okay so it's talking about context so when you use the word your try and look at context look at the setting why did paul have to say that and look at the historicity of the situation before you come to a conclusion. Now, in Paul's days, women sat at the back of the church. In fact, I know some churches that still practice that. When you go to certain churches, husbands and wives don't sit side by side. Husbands sit in front, women sit at the back. Okay, because that was biblical time, like that was church in the olden days. And the uh, legend has it that when preaching was going on, especially when preaching was going on, women interrupted the flow of their service and they asked their husbands questions. So maybe let's say husband is sitting at first row, wife is sitting at tenth row, and then the preacher is saying something about Adam. The wife at the tenth row will scream. So, Kojo, like purpose of illustration. I use Kojo because I'm a Ghanaian. Kojo, so what does this scripture mean about Moses? You know, it caused chaos in the church. That was what was literally happening in the Corinth church. They literally interrupted the flow of service and, you know, sometimes nothing can go on. You know, the wife will scream at the back to the husband. So what is the meaning of this scripture? What is the meaning of Ten Commandments? What is the meaning of the law? You know, people are just interrupting the flow of service. And that was what Paul was explaining. And that's why Paul is saying that it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And it's not shameful in general for a woman to minister 
but when you do that you interrupt the flow of the service you interrupt the beauty of the service and you bring shame to the service that's why paul is saying that it is shameful for a woman to speak at church it is not shameful for a woman to hold the bible filled with the holy spirit and she's also preaching and ministering god's word that's not what paul is talking about amen so paul only wrote this to ensure order in the service and paul was also not a chauvinist okay he wasn't a male chauvinist he was he wasn't someone who uses maleness to dominate women that's why he wrote this no he was just writing this so that the order will have some symmetry and some order all right now when we continue our book of romans series we will learn some fascinating truths about women in ministry i can't wait to get to that chapter so watch this space amen it's very demonic for a man to use the scripture to hold women captive and block them from experiencing the flow and the true liberty of the spirit at work amen now let's wrap up tonight's study with the last four verses verse 36 to 40 or did the word of god come originally from you or was it you only that it reached if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual let him acknowledge that the things which i write to you are the commandments of the lord but if anyone is ignorant let him be ignorant therefore brethren the desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues let all things be done decently and in order paul was referring to hyper spiritual people among the corinthians in verses 36 to 38 who thought they could do things without the word of god because they are gifted you know uh, so no matter how much you flow you know in the ebullience and in the exuberance of the gifts of the spirits learn how to center all those passions you know those operations and anchor them with god's word that's what to give you a sustaining ministry now if you look at the corinth church there was no church that abandoned in spiritual gifts than the corinthian church one day i preached on communion i did a whole expose of the corinth corinth church if you do remember i told you all their transgressions from chapter one right up to chapter 11 of second corinthians i did a whole expose on that if you do remember there was no church that abandoned in spiritual gifts than the current church yet one of the things why they were so disorderly and they were immature was they didn't learn how to balance walking in the gifts of the spirit with the fruit of the spirit and they also didn't anchor those gifts with the word of god and when and when that happens look you can easily become a magician a typical example is william braham william braham is a very powerful man of powerful 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 man of god if you ever read of william braham but a time came he started you know backsliding and you know so many things if if, if you read the history i don't even want to go into all that because if i go into braham's story today we won't finish amen but it's very important to center the operations of the holy spirit with the word of god that should be your anchor amen so refusing to do things by the written word of god paul calls you ignorant you are ignorant and paul says that if you continue to be ignorant you you we shall allow you to be ignorant amen and paul encourages prophecy he ends by encouraging prophecy i encourage everybody to prophesy that's speaking under divine inspiration and when you prophesy the bible says that you minister the edification comfort and all that all that good stuff paul encourages it and he doesn't forbid the church to speak in tongues because it is a strong operation of the gift of the spirit with that said all things in a service has to be done decently and in order that's it the gifts of the spirit have to flow but they have to flow symmetrically they have to flow in a way where it's not confusing and there is orderliness amen i'm down for tonight i hope tonight your 
understanding on this subject is clear. Amen. I was really praying, Lord, which way should I go? I, I, I did a teaching once on tongues. I talked about Old Testament prophecies of tongues. I talked about New Testament prophecy of tongues. And when I'm talking about New Testament, I'm there restricting this from Matthew to John. New Testament prophecy of tongues. And I talk about the fulfillment of all that and then I explained what tongues was. If, if, I, if I wanted to do that today, it would be a series. And we, I don't want to do a series in the midst of a series. Amen. So I just decided to tackle this and I hope we've been able to answer as much questions as possible. So I've got five minutes on the clock. Anybody who has a question can ask. God bless you. I have one question. So the first one, so the people, a lot of, um, some of the denominations will make a case against speaking in tongues, saying that in, the, in, in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit came upon them, they spoke in tongues that other people understood. And, and so because now when we speak in tongues and nobody, most of the tongues we speak, it's not the one that people understand and so they are saying that that is the that is the case i mean that is their point against the fact that tongue speaking has ceased and so because the tongues that we speak people don't understand the second point is that um we regard the gifts of the spirit as a church how uh, how do we create an environment that um how do we create an environment that will um, encourage or develop the gifts that will encourage people um, that will encourage the manifestations of the gifts from the church members okay so the the, the, the first um, question I've also had that assertion it's not correct it was not when the people were speaking, it was some of the people that understood the language. And number two, contemporarily speaking, you may think it's a language but you don't understand, but someone may understand it. I've had two occasions where people have interpreted what I've said, and they didn't interpret it because of the gift of interpretation. Two times it happened because it tends to be another language. I didn't even know. I didn't even know. So, that is erroneous. Do you know, number one, even, do you know how many people were gathered in Acts chapter 2? It was a lot of people. This was the festival. You see, so, when Peter preached and when 3,000 came to Christ, it's it's a huge achievement, but it's 3,000 out of a sea of people. Try and know that. So, so it, it was a lot of people there. It wasn't just the few people that they were able to speak. There were so many people there that they couldn't even number. So, Acts chapter 2 there is false. Yes, they spoke in languages that some could understand, but some too, they, it was just a heavenly language. So, that is also not true. Now, with regards to the second question, how do we um, create an atmosphere for the manifestation and the operation of the gifts of the spirits? we have to come to a place where we see the Holy Spirit as God. Because where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. Number two, if you happen to be a pastor and you stand behind a pulpit, you also have to preach on it and make it known. You have to preach on spiritual gifts. That's why I try to preach on spiritual gifts as much as I can. I haven't touched on spiritual gifts now for three years. You know, but uh, in, in times past, I've done it every year or every other two years. So you have to preach it a lot because the more you preach it, they generate faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you have to preach it. When you preach it, you build the faith capacity of the members. Number two, you also create a desire. If, if you want a desire, talk about something. The more you talk about it, the more you think about it, you have a desire. There are some people, they will never be hungry. But if you talk about food and, and discuss how the food looks like and how delicious it looks like, this, that, the person will start to feel hungry. It's the same way. Spiritual gifts, talk about it, create the awareness for it. And the more you do that, 
you create that atmosphere for people to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. So, pastors, we need to preach about this. And we need to preach about the Holy Spirit too. People have to stop seeing the Holy Spirit as a force, as an inspiration. The Holy Spirit is more than a force. It's more than an inspiration. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We also need to preach messages about the Holy Spirit and create an awareness. With that, it will be easy for people to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. So I don't know if I've answered your first question well, Pastor Robert. Yes. Okay. All right, Pastor Lanello, I've seen that you've unmuted yourself, so you can ask your question. Even though it's time, ask your question. Thank you for the insight. Uh, I want to ask, what is the appropriate time for someone who generally receives a word from the Lord to deliver to the church? That's a very good question. That's a very good question. I think, I think that will also be, be, be determined upon um, the, the pastor of the house because he's also the leader, like I said. In as much as we have to flow in the operations of the spirits, we also don't flout certain protocols and governances and, and order and order. So it, it really depends. It, 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 it really depends. It, it really depends. So I, I'll mostly say it will really depend upon the person standing behind the pulpit. Okay. Amen. So, for example, let me bring this up. Like, when preaching is going on, it will not be advisable to interact. If you have truly heard a word from the Lord, the Bible says that the spirit of the prophet is subject unto the prophet. That means you can hold on to the word, and by the time the preaching is, is, on, is, is, is over, the prophecy would have still been there. And probably, to, to, to create some order, you may also want to share it with Maybe a pastor and say, look, this is what the Lord told me. Do you want me to share that with the church? And he might probably let, let you go ahead. Like the same guy I'm talking to you about. There are times he has come to me, oh, pastor, so and so and so and so. I, I'll just give him the mic straight away. Share it with the church. I'll just give him the mic. Share it straight away with the church. That's it. I realize the gift. I will not, I will not stop the flow. Amen. So like I said, it also depends there are sometimes to it is appropriate by the Holy Spirit to just interrupt the sermon and then flow. So, like I said, it, it all depends. It's very difficult to have a clear-cut answer on that. But what really matters is that it should be done decently and in order. It shouldn't bring any confusion. Amen. Okay, three minutes past eight. I'll allow for one more question or contribution before we close. Because I know speaking in tongues is always a heavy one. Okay, the whole place is quiet, so that means we don't have any question. Uh, can one person just, what did you learn? Don't even bother summarizing because it will take a lot. Just what did you learn? What one thing did you take home today? One person. I like uh, the explanation about um, me focusing on the context where it talks about the women keeping quiet. The focus has to be on the context and not the implication that women should keep quiet. We need to um, sideline women from ministry or from talking in church or from exhibiting or exhibiting their gifts, their God given gifts. So yeah, I like the fact that. That scripture should be when you are given an interpretation to that scripture, you should focus on the context. And I, I mean, for me, for today I'm not seeing your woman as you mentioned. I, I didn't even pay attention to that. Uh, like Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight's teaching. We pray that may we receive more understanding on the subject of speaking in tongues. 
and on the subject of spiritual gifts. Oh, Father, we pray that creating us a desire not just to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, but to also desire the gifts of the Spirit, that we will live an effective Christian life worthy of emulation, which will be a living epistle for all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. So, God willing, the camp meeting is on Friday. So, there are some people who will be riding shotgun with us. So, we will leave at 12. So, please, let's make a point to be there at midday. Amen. Because uh, check-in is at 4. And then from there, the, the program has already been drawn. So, it has been spelt out. So, we have to make do our time. Amen. Uh, there are some two who will be taking a bus at 42nd Street in New York. They will board their bus at 12.30. They will be there probably 4.30. So, we sure make it in time and... We'll have a good time. So God bless you all. So good night, guys. Blessings. Okay, good night. Good night.